Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. I am your host, Edwin Adams, and I'm privileged today to have a gentleman on the show I've actually never met before until today, but we have a mutual acquaintance, and he has an incredible story that he's going through right now, but I knew it wasn't the only story to talk about. So, Jacob Atkinson, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you having me on. So, Jacob, uh, wow, your resume is quite interesting. I think if if, if anyone listening to this show needs the best hype music to get them through their day, <laughs> Jacob has some incredible playlists that you ought to listen to. Not only that, but he has taken a lifestyle transformation to a 10x level and overcoming quite a scary crash you had several weeks ago. And in addition to that, you're a successful salesperson out in the Denver area. So there's tons to talk about from a transformation and principle of transformation standpoint. So Jacob, I'm just glad you're here, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's been uh, quite the journey. 2020 just keeps throwing curveballs and I keep swinging. Well, I think that's the beautiful thing that a lot of people are missing right now that, that some would say, and I think this is, I'm stealing this from Tony Robbins, but he says mm -hmm. winter is the best time for planting without right. make much sense, but he, he just wants us to capture this season of hardship and downturn and do something with it. Well, COVID hadn't slowed you down at all, my friend. Um, why, don't you, why don't you just tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself and maybe lead in with what you're going through right now? Because I think that's absolutely incredible what you've been able to do in a very short period of time. Yeah, so just a little bit of background. I was born and raised in Texas. Was fortunate enough to get a Division I um, football scholarship out of high school. Moved to Utah, played four years of Division I football at Utah State. Um, fell in love with the mountains while I was there. Got really into snowboarding, mountain biking, and that just kind of transitioned uh, throughout my life. Those were always my passions. Um, eventually, uh, my medical sales job had led me to Denver, Colorado, where I've been for the past seven and a half years. Um, kind of fast forward, as you had mentioned, I uh, took on a really, really gnarly mountain bike crash about two and a half months ago put me in the hospital for 14 days. Um, I shattered my pelvis, broke five ribs in my back, collapsed my lung, separated my right shoulder and dislocated my right or my left shoulder, uh, which I just had rotator cuff surgery on two weeks ago, um, which has led me to speaking with you today. You know, just seeing the video, you know, it looked like just a, a regular, regular jump in the mountains, so to speak. Sure. Something, something didn't go quite well. Take us back to that moment. Right. So I've been riding mountain bikes for the majority of my life and riding bicycles my whole life. Uh, competed at a pretty, pretty high level, right at a pretty high level. Uh, had went out and drove to Utah, you know, early that morning and ended up there to hang out with the best friend and ride all weekend. We decided to go hit up a bike park uh, that afternoon and we went to this bike park that had some monstrous jumps, the biggest jumps I've ever actually seen in person at a public bike park. So I was eyeballing one. It was a 60 foot step down from a lip to lip. So really big. I did a couple runs in it. It's been about 10, 15 minutes kind of thinking about it and I going over the risk and uh, decided to hit it and hit it, nailed it first time. Saw the video, thought I could go bigger. Um, so I went back up and uh, I came into it. I was hauling. And as I came off the lip, I kind of screwed up the preload, which is where you load the suspension to help you pop and get a little more air. Uh, and I was just going so fast, I kind of, I screwed that up. And so uh, in the air, I was pulling back, trying to just make sure I cleared the gap. And I cleared the gap, but what happened was I landed on the flat side of the landing rather than the downside. 
So all that energy transferred through the bike, compressed my suspension, and then shot me over the bike going about 40 miles an hour. My body whipped into the ground and took the full impact. Um, I got up, sat there for a second, wind was knocked out of me, um, kind of just trying to like piece things together. And then the tank top, my left shoulder was hanging down. It was dislocated, so my buddy runs up to me, says, hey, dude, are you okay? Your shoulder's out, you need to pop it in. I said, yeah, pop it in. He snaps it in, I try to stand up fall over, say, let me just sit here for a second. I kind of gather myself. I was like, hey, can you and your wife help me stand up? Stand up, second I put my foot on the ground, I just collapse over. Um, we call 911, they come out, they put me on a back brace, shoot me up with fentanyl, bring me to the hospital, and from there I kind of get all these diagnoses. Hey, you've got a collapsed lung, we gotta take care of this. If we don't, you could die. You got a shattered pelvis, we gotta take care of this. If we don't, you could die. So just one thing after another and uh, you know, at the time, I felt fine, well, relatively fine. I had no idea I'd sustained such gnarly injuries. Um, and so I just kind of went through that. And it was at that point in time, I was like, man, this is going to be, it's going to be a long journey back to, to normal. Um, and it's kind of at that point, I decided, well, this is, this is going to be your life for a little bit, just like anything. Attack it, give it everything you possibly can. This is your next challenge um, to, to get back to where you were. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I spent you know, two weeks in the hospital. Um, you know, the first seven days were just in ICU, kind of recovering, getting my vitals back to normal. I underwent a seven and a half hour uh, pelvis surgery, got a bunch of plates, screws, pins, um, had a huge tube uh, through my rib cage. I was in a pneumothorax to drain all the blood and uh, get the lung reinflated. And then from there, I got moved over to inpatient rehab. And that's kind of where the, the journey really began for me, my road to recovery. I wasn't going to be able to go home until I was able to, you know, wheelchair around and do all these simple tasks on my own, you know, things like getting dressed, taking a shower, going to the bathroom. Uh, so every day was just a challenge and I was seeing incremental progression and that's what kept me going. And then eventually it's like, all right, you know, the big light at the end of the tunnel is going to be my wife coming to pick me up and then I'll get to go home and continue this journey back in, in Colorado. And so from there I got home and it just progressed rapidly. I was in a wheelchair for two weeks. I had a buddy had a similar injury. It was in was in a wheelchair for a month so for me I was competing with him but I was also competing against myself I was like all right what is the normal for this recovery and what can I do to better myself and how can I crush this recovery fortunately I've, I've been in really really good shape you know I work out five days a week I ride my bike four or five days a week just a very very active person and so I think you know all that physical activity and treating my body right between nutrition training recovery um, my body's also helped me, um, you know, in this recovery journey. So I've made strides, leaps and bounds. I was in a wheelchair for two weeks, got on crutches. As soon as I got off crutches, uh, was when I was going to be able to have shoulder surgery. So I got off crutches that Monday, went in for shoulder surgery that Monday and just keep rolling. So, so you've said some really key words there that I think when people experience a trauma like this, either in body or in mind, I don't think these go through their minds, Jacob. So what do you think prepared you for this moment from, from your past? Um, you know, I've been through some other severe injuries. I broke my wrist while riding bikes in Whistler. I separated my shoulder, um, mountain biking. At Winter Park, you know, I played college football. I had a shoulder surgery um, due to an injury in college. So I've been through a lot of different things. And what I've realized, you know, in my 33 years, and fortunately, as I've gotten a little older and wiser, is things take time, um, and it's all part of the process. 
in, you know, in my mid twenties, something to happen, I would try to rush recovery and I'd overdo things. Now I've come at peace with kind of the process and letting time do its thing while also kind of pushing those boundaries. Um, so I think that's been a huge thing for me is just being patient and just kind of trusting the process and trusting time. Well, let me marinate in that for, for just a second. I think uh, particularly in the circumstances that you found yourself in most recently, that the outcome would seem a lot of your focus, that you want to get back to a level of existence that you were used to before. And I, I, I'm thinking uh, of people in a transformation process, they get hung up on the result and forget about the process. You, you tend right. to embrace the process and you mentioned the word incremental progression. I, I find that's a big problem in people undergoing a transformation of any kind is the embracing of the process. Um, you've had a lot of experience with that. What advice would you give then to people who are needing to transform and are fixated on, on are consistently fixated on the results and constantly disappointed in them? Of course. So you always want to have that, you know, main goal in sight. But in order to achieve that main goal, you need to have smaller obtainable goals to get to that point. So with myself and this injury, every day and every week, I'd set different goals that I'd want to achieve. Um, and that's kind of how I've taken on this process. So, you know, for me, it was like, all right, I'm in a wheelchair. What can I do to speed up that or to achieve getting out of a wheelchair and moving to crutches? And then I'm in crutches like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm walking 10 feet. I'm getting dead tired. I feel like I need to take a nap. How can I progress from that? And so I'm just setting these small goals, which eventually lead to my overall goals of getting back to where I was you know, prior to this crash. The other word I liked that you said was competing with yourself. I, I think that might intimidate a lot of people, or, or at least they never think about competition in that standpoint. Um, Someone once told me that our our experiences are our greatest teacher, but then I got corrected when I repeated that to someone one day and they said, no, Ed, it is our evaluated experiences that are our greatest teachers. When, when you have something like this happen, I mean, just listening to you tell your story, you clearly had gone over that scenario of leaving one hill and landing on the other and you knew exactly what you did wrong, right? I mean, you know, all the measurements almost to, to the, to the exact millimeter probably. So in your recovery, did you have to acquire an understanding of what exactly happened to you in order to know how to manipulate a process of recovery? Yeah, certainly. So I, fortunately being in the medical field, I understood quite a bit of physiologically what happened to me. I didn't at the time understand the severity and after speaking with numerous different people within the medical field, uh, you know, friends that are nurses, PAs, PTs, um, more recently has it come to light the severity um, and how fortunate I am, um, even given how gnarly um, what happened to me was, it could have been certainly much worse. I could have easily been paralyzed. I could have lost different body functions. I could have suffered a traumatic brain injury. So even with the extensive hit list of injuries I sustained, the fact that 11 weeks later, I'm walking, I have no pains. I'm walking to the point now where I don't have any sort of limp or hitch in my step. Um, I don't have any neurological issues. Uh, my ribs have healed up. I have full lung capacity. Um, it's pretty incredible. Um, and so, 
with that, I, I, I tried to look into it a bit, uh, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to overthink things. I know you can kind of get into a wormhole and you can really see pretty gnarly what the outcome could be. And so I tried to focus on the positive and what was within my control and really just trust the doctors that were taking care of me to make sure um, they'd put me back together. Um, and then I'd give my body every chance possible uh, through nutrition and, you know, physical therapy. And, and then to have the mantra of I'm going to crush this recovery. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. What, what kept you able to have that focus every day? I know, I know you had bad days, uh, but sure. I know you yeah, had, there are certainly bad days. You had more but good days than bad days. I had a lot more good days. And for me, I think it was just keeping a positive mindset, even on the bad days and understanding, Hey, like it's going to be tough. Not every day can be great. Some days are going to hurt way more than others. Some days you're just going to feel down and this sucks. And for me, I never wanted to get in that woe is me, play a victim. It's like, hey, I brought this upon myself. Now it's up to me to get out of this. And I've always tried to maintain this killer mindset where I'm in control of my own destiny. And so in this scenario, I'm, I'm fully in control of my own destiny. It's entirely up to me in this recovery process to take PT seriously, to do what I'm being told, to focus on my nutrition, to focus on my rest. Um, so it's kind of Kobe Bryant's mentality, that Mamba mentality. And that's, that's really, that's really how I've lived my life, my whole life. And I learned that from my father um, and just through playing sports, uh, both team sports and playing, you know, sports like uh, running track, snowboarding, mountain biking, things like that, where it's just solely on me. Incredible. So you mentioned the name Kobe, you mentioned your dad, um, are there are there other mentors? And then I really want to dig deep into your dad and your relationship with your dad and what what specifically mm -hmm. he mentored you with. I, I think that's so critical these days and missing in society as a good a good mentor, a good father figure. So if you could name some of your mentors in life throughout your collegiate sport career into medical sales, even I know there's probably a mentor in there somewhere. And then maybe some of the key principles that you've taken from them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always looked at achievements at things that people have done and different accolades and what they've given to whatever they're into. So I've never necessarily looked into mentorship from particular people, maybe just things that they've done that they've excelled in. I mean, Kobe Bryant was incredible at his craft within basketball, Travis Rice um, within snowboarding, and especially my father. Um, who unfortunately passed away tragically um, last year, three days before our wedding. But mm. the values he instilled within me um, in my 32 years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those for my dad being around my entire life and not having a father like that present to kind of raise me and instill those values. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So um, if you could name the values that meant the most from your dad, what would you name? Uh, hard work. I mean, you just, the value of hard work is underappreciated these days. People feel entitled. And one thing that he always taught me is nobody owes me anything. The world doesn't owe me shit. Um, and it's up to me to go and get what I want. And in order to do that, I have to have that killer mentality and I have to go out and I have to get it myself and never rely on anybody else to do it. Wow. So here you are in medical sales, probably one of the most difficult jobs on the planet, I would, I would argue. It's tough out there, um, <laughs> particularly tough, in, sure. in the, the COVID crisis has made it exponentially worse. 
I'm in pharmaceutical sales, you're in mm -hmm. medical sales. Tell me how you've brought the, the crush mentality to the business that you manage out in Colorado. Yeah, so I've been in medical sales for going on eight years. I work for a genomics laboratory uh, by the name of Verisite, uh, based out of San Francisco. And what I do is I'm a sales representative. I work with different physicians and I try to help implement uh, different cancer testings into their protocol to offer to patients. Uh, we focus in both thyroid and lung cancer, but this space is very, very competitive. It's very tough. Um, really all the medical sales spaces are very difficult but it's, it's the exact same thought process. You got to be strategic. You have to be, you have to be a killer. You have to go out and get what you want. You have to think through different tough scenarios on the fly. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I work daily. I go out and I get what I want and I think about what's going to be the best process. So I'm not wasting any sort of time and I just I go out and try to make it happen. Yeah, so clearly in the industry we're in, there are sales metrics, i.e. goals that you can really get fixated mm -hmm. on. But what, what closes the gap between where you are and where you're trying to go is the, the management of your business, right? I mean, right. We, we all manage our territories as if it is our, our business and we work a process or really embrace a process to get us closer to that outcome that is arbitrarily set by someone else. And that's that's a little intimidating sometimes, right? When, when they give you your sales number and you're, how did, how did you come up with that number? Wow. Right. That's, of course. That's, well, we'd like to call those stretch goals, Ed. I'm like, goodness gracious. <laughs> hard, hard to stretch. So yep. uh, in a business where you're told no more than you're told yes. Um, again, I know this goes back to maybe what we've already said, but that can, that can, wear on the mind and, and make you can. doubt. How do, how do you address doubt in these, these sales situations? Well, I never take anything personal. It's business, it's sales. And no just means it's another challenge and another way to think strategically to get them to say yes. Um, no, if, if sales was easy, everybody would do it. You know, So it's, it's for certain personalities. You have to be tenacious, you have to be persistent. And you just have to go out and you have to strategically think about ways to position yourself and over the competitor. And so that's how I've approached my um, medical sales you know, process and working with different clients, building relationships and just being incredibly knowledgeable, um, both clinically and in regards to the industry um, so that you can gain trust and, and work with these different clients. Yeah, that's such an important word these days, trust, because there are a lot of us out there trying to build trust with the decision makers, right? And right. Um, I used to be in the lung cancer space and, and launched uh, the second or third EGFR product to come to market. Oh, and wow. the genomic testing was really important to us because without mm -hmm. the, the EGFR identification of the lung cancer, our product was not going to get used. So right. with the, tell me how you deal with the noise around, around the oncology space. There's a lot of information. Uh, I think guidelines are updated where they used to be. The lung cancer guidelines were updated once a year. Now they're being mm -hmm. updated like eight times a year to keep, keep up right. the pace of, of information. How, how do you assimilate and focus on information that's relevant to you? Because otherwise, that's really distracting, especially if you're trying to make a, an intelligent decision on an important biomarker, right? 
Yeah, of course. And as you mentioned, there's a ton of noise, especially in this space. And there's so many different reps trying to get in and get in front of the doctor. And so for me, it's important to establish a relationship with maybe a PA or a nurse, kind of understand how that doctor functions and makes uh, decisions. And then from there, when I do get my time with the doctor to make it valuable, um, I don't want to go there and just talk to, to form some relationship. I want to make sure that I provide value because if I go there and I don't, then that's probably the last time I'm going to need to have that opportunity to speak with the doctor. Yeah. So that's, that's my biggest thing. Every time I speak with really any of my clients, I want to make sure I'm bringing them value um, to their practice. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important today because what, what I have found particularly in the COVID uh, arena that we're all practicing in, they, they didn't need more problems showing up on their doorstep, i.e. me walking in, creating another problem for them. Right. They needed problems solved quickly. And, and now virtually I'm trying to solve problems. It's gotten, gotten to be quite, quite a challenge to bring value. How have you adapted to the virtual space of dealing with your customers? I, I'm assuming you're having more virtual meetings than live meetings right now. Yeah, so Colorado in particular is pretty regulated and pretty strict in regards to allowing reps to physically be present. And so I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to constantly be in touch via email, phone calls, text with clients that I'm close enough with. But I always want to make sure that I'm available. Um, right now, it's more of a maintenance um, rather than going out and trying to cultivate new business. And so I'm just trying to take care of my current clients as much as I can. I'm there when I need them, but I'm definitely not overbearing and trying to annoy them. Yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot, that's where a lot of people can go wrong. Um, so I try to be mindful of, of their time and they're extremely busy. A lot of them have also uh, been working from home and seeing patients virtually. And so now that things are opening back up, they're extremely busy with backlog. So I just make sure that I'm available and I'm there to help them any way I possibly can without overstepping my boundaries. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of reps be banned from facilities for life mm -hmm. because they just simply did not respect the environment uh, that they were stepping into. Uh, and, and what a mess. That that would suck to get a, a life ban. Yeah, you got to have a little bit of social awareness and kind of understand the situations. I know managers like to push and, and say, well, why can't you do this? And just be mindful and, and understand the situation and it varies from facility to facility. And so I know my customers pretty well, yeah. but I definitely don't want to overstep those boundaries and, and get on that bad list. Yeah. So did you find this genomic space by accident or was it uh, of interest to you for a long time? So it was always of interest. It's kind of the next forefront in medicine. Um, my medical sales career started selling capital equipment. I sold blood analyzers, chemistries, immunoassays, um, hematology analyzers to hospital laboratories for about four years. And then the opportunity kind of presented itself. Um, a recruiter had reached out to me via LinkedIn about an opportunity with a genomics company, and it was more of a startup. So the comp current company that I was working for was a pretty big corporation, a lot of red tape. And so I felt like I'd put my time in there and I was ready to make a change. And that kind of got me into my first genomics laboratory space. I worked at this company for about two years, more in uh, whole exome sequencing. So I got to work with a lot of geneticists, genetic counselors, as well as different pediatric testing a lot in the neurological space. Um, so it was a really, really cool environment to work in. And then another opportunity presented itself a couple of years later, which led me to my current uh, position. And uh, it's just, it's a really, really cool space to work in. You can actually see the value that it's bringing to not only 
the physicians, but in particular, the patients, you're helping avoid unnecessary surgeries, which is kind of our whole philosophy. And in turn to that, these patients don't have to undergo surgery. They don't have to have a potential of taking medication for the rest of their life, the associated cost, the downtime. So it, it's really neat to, to see how you're positively impacting patient, patient care. Yeah, and with the technology you're talking about, uh, that is really driving the innovation in the pharmaceutical world and and looking at these targets for potential therapies. I mean, to be able to turn on or off a biological process when we understand what the receptor is in the first place and and what genomic markers they have, it's it's a pretty exciting time in oncology getting that laser focus, but but you can imagine the complexities of that. There are probably hundreds of biological processes happening all at the same time, and we're flipping one switch at a time. So exactly. we'll, we'll get there eventually. But I appreciated um, who who was it? Was it Joe Biden who moonshot 2025 that we would have a significant cure for cancer, you know, in in this lifetime? So it's exciting exciting to see what what we do with that that challenge. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And when I joined the genomic space, we had only had about half of the human exome sequenced and understood. And I mean, it has gone up tenfold as far as our understanding of how each of these genes impact, you know, our daily functions within our body. Um, And we just continue to progress as technology does. So I would not be surprised to see a cancer cure um, sooner than later. Yeah. So are you a believer that that there are good genes and bad genes, and they're all sitting there waiting for us to turn them on or off based on what we put in our minds, in our mouths, in our bodies. I certainly think that there are external outliers that can turn those bad genes on. I think that's why cancer is so prevalent. There's so much processed foods and other things that we're exposed to where when the body you know, was originally designed, didn't have any of these, everything was much more natural, much more organic. And so I think that's why there's been such a huge uptick in cancer these days, as well as just other human disease. I think if we can live clean, we can live as, as natural and organic as possible. Um, I think we're much more likely to not develop this type of cancers and diseases. Yeah. Do you find that Colorado is more progressive in the availability and access to those type of organic foods for lack of a better term yeah absolutely it's a it's a very progressive state um, it's a very active state i think it's top three fittest in the country and everyone here is incredibly mindful um growing up in texas you know we love barbecue we love sweet tea we loved all that stuff um and then coming here for me it was just a better fit um everyone's just very conscious about what they're putting in their bodies how they're how they're taking care of it um so yeah Colorado is very very forward with that yeah, Louisiana, not so much. I think we struggle in that, <laughs> that arena. Having yeah, we, uh, my wife and I days. did. Uh, yeah, my wife and I did a engagement party back in Monroe a couple of years ago, and someone asked somebody to go pick up some arugula from the grocery store, and somebody goes, "What's arugula?" <laughs> <laughs> There's your sign right there. there. There it is. Wow. So, what's next for you, Jacob? You're on the you're on the healing uh, downhill slide now. No pun intended. So, you're <laughs> going to be to to some competitive level of sport in how long? Um, I'm shooting for December. I mean, that would be the absolute 
earliest with my shoulder. So my shoulder, I tore two and a half of the four rotator cuff muscles, got to the point where I couldn't lift my arm above my head. I mean, it went straight and that it just stopped. So I had no rotation. Um, and in speaking with the doctor in kind of post follow-up, he said, you know, you should think about joining chess because what you've done with shoulder uh, at your age is just, it's going to be pretty gnarly down the road in regards to arthritis and whatnot. And, you know, I've always kind of understood that that was going to be a risk between, you know, playing college football, lifting for the last 17 years, snowboarding, mountain biking, doing all these things. And I'm going to continue doing these things. It's just, I have to be much more mindful of situations I put myself in. And I'm not, I, I'm just not going to do things like do 60 foot jumps. The risk reward just isn't there. You know, it's a personal achievement, but at the end of the day, it's a lot more fun to go home you know, in one piece and be able to do it again the next day than be in the current situation that I'm in. So right now, the the long-term goal is to be back in lifting weights and starting to ride the mountain bike, you know, in December. Um, you know, I'm two weeks out of my rotator cuff surgery. Things feel great. I'm doing a lot of different things between um, physical therapy and I've done some peptide injections. Uh, my diet's pretty on point. And so I'm doing everything that I possibly can to get there by early December. But in the meantime, um, I'm, I'm focusing a lot more on my music, uh, DJing, trying to find local events to spin, working on new mixes, and just focusing on this creative outlet while I have this downtime from physical activity. I got the clearance from my trauma surgeon last Wednesday um, that I no longer have restrictions in regards to my hip and my pelvis. And so it's pretty much leg day every day at this point. And wow. so I'm trying to put some, some mass back on, some strength in my legs and just focusing on that while I can and, and as well as doing some upper body lifting on the right side. But I ride the stationary bike every single day, try to lift, stretch, do what I you know, everything that I can to stay active. And for me, having that hour of working out really kind of keeps my mental state in balance. Yeah. So, so your music has always been a side hustle. The, the... So I've always loved music. It's always been a big part of my life. Um, last January, so January 2019, I just made a decision at the beginning of the year, I'm just going to buy the equipment and I'm going to teach myself. And so I started, started reading forums, started watching YouTube, and it just started picking up very, very quickly. And it's kind of snowballed from there. And I've started playing events around Denver, parties, things downtown, um, and just putting and promoting uh, mixes online. And so this kind of passion thing has turned into just kind of a fun side hobby. Um, and it's especially been great in this downtime for me because, you know, we, we kind of set up a studio in our basement gym down in the basement. And uh, my wife has a, been personal training, so I get to go practice for all her clients and her when she works out. So it's been a lot of fun for me to, to kind of do that daily. Yeah, and I saw you out on this street where you're on an alleyway and you were you were spinning the music and people. Yeah, my buddy, my buddy owns a gym um, downtown and, you know, with COVID, there's a lot of restrictions. So he partnered with this local um, hotel called Dairy Block and they have this big alleyway. And so they set up right in the alley and they did a big outdoor workout and I got to spin it. So I've been spinning that every Thursday, uh, all of September in partnership with those guys. Incredible. Incredible. So creativity did not start with music. Did I understand you created a clothing line at some yeah, point? Yeah. Uh, so it actually kind of spurred from shoulder surgery in college. I had some downtime and was kind of teaching myself illustration uh, on the computer and 
you know, at the time I was really into action sports and a big thing around action sports was kind of these different clothing lines. So I had started one called Pure Harmony and kind of ran that throughout college and eventually sold it as I uh, had graduated and moved on. But I had an entrepreneurship degree from Utah State. And so that was kind of one of my focuses and things that I worked on while I was there. Incredible. So downtime is magic time for you. Uh, but look, I don't think you need any downtime anytime soon. <laughs> no, certainly not. But it's nice to capitalize. And it's been the same thing with, you know, COVID and whatnot. And I know a lot of people that have been you know, just kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. And for myself, and my wife, like, well, this is great. Now we can focus on all these different projects and things that we wanted to do. So we've knocked out a ton of house projects, uh, gotten to travel around, you know, more regionally and locally. Um, so we haven't wasted a day. So it's been really, really good for us. And we've kind of been thriving in this environment. Yeah, that is, that is so wise, Jacob. I mean, a lot of people, I think, wasted this COVID experience with worry, fear, anxiety, and understand that to some degree. But at some mm -hmm. point, what a gift to be gifted with time. Like, I don't travel as much as I used to. Uh, the company has had me home for seven and a half months. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a gift to be home with my wife and and being able to do podcast episodes and just the gift of time has been invaluable. This has been and winter has this winter has been an amazing season of productivity. So I'm glad yeah, it's it's been incredible for us too. And I mean you, you have the choice. It's like, well, you can sit around and wait for something to happen, or you can just control what you can control and let things play out the way they're gonna play out. And that's kind of how we took on this. And we're like, well, let's make the best of this downtime. We're never going to have this much time at home and together and around friends to, to do things, to do projects. And so I think we've really capitalized. It's been, it's been pretty incredible, honestly. Well done. So of all your playlist creations so far, which one is your favorite one that you would recommend if, if people want to get the essence of Jacob and the, the power behind his soul? Yeah, vibe, what is um, it? I'd say my newest one I released after I got home from the hospital. It's called House Arrest. And I I aptly named it house arrest due to not only COVID-19 and uh, being stuck at home in quarantine, but it was my own personal house arrest, kind of being stuck at home in a wheelchair and unable to get out and do the things that I love. And every day I pretty much spent outside, whether it was mountain biking, whether it was backcountry snowboarding, whether it's hiking, whether it's shows at Red Rocks, I was just going out and being social. And so for the first time in my life, I, I truly felt like I was on house arrest. And so I kind of made that mix based on how you would feel in house arrest, it kind of starts out slow and it's easy and it's whatever. And as it progresses, it gets heavier and it gets harder. And so that's kind of how the mix finishes out. So that one was pretty near and dear to my heart. So I was pretty happy uh, with how it came together. And I got to partner with a local friend who's also an incredibly talented artist. His name's Pat Milberry and runs a group called Sonar here in um, Colorado. And so we partnered together. He did the artwork and we kind of did some collaboration promotion together. Yeah, that is a really good one, especially in the morning after coffee when I'm just trying to get the office started. It's nice yeah. that it starts a little slower and yep. wraps up really nicely. So by nine o'clock, I'm on fire. So it is, <laughs> yeah. it is amazing, Jacob. Thank you for that. What's the, the playlist with the green logo that reminds me of Starbucks? Yeah, it's called a uh, pumpkin spice bank. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that, that, that one's favorite. everyone's favorite. That's everybody's favorite. And I'm actually working on pumpkin spice bangers too right now. I'm hoping to release it. Serious. Uh, Friday, I think it's the 25th. So in about a week and a half, uh, working on my second, the follow up to pumpkin spice bangers. 
Wow. So is there an album coming soon or can you, can you do that? Or is playlist where it's at? I just kind of put mixes. So I, uh, I, I don't produce music at this point in time. What I do is I more so curate it and I mix it tastefully and make sure it flows seamlessly. Um, and so that's what I kind of do as a DJ. I haven't gone into the realm of production and creation of music just yet. Just, I wanted to make yeah. sure I master I wanted to master mixing before diving deep into that because that's a whole different animal. Yeah, I um, actually in preparation for this episode was watching people do that just with a few instruments and and a soundboard. They'd record a clip of one instrument mm -hmm. and then they come back and they just keep adding on to it. And within five minutes, they had this incredible orchestral sound mm -hmm. going on with just one person. It was Pretty yeah, it's, how they it's pretty that. unbelievable. And the mind of true artists and musicians that can create like that is it's incredible. And I think that's something that you either have or you don't. And it's, it's how your brain's wired. And I think I understand pretty well how music can sound and can flow. And that's why I think I excel as a, as a DJ and being able to mix things tastefully and make sure that they flow incredibly well. But to make it orchestral and have all those all that depth and just layers of sound and make it sound the way it does. I think that is truly incredible. So there's clearly a therapeutic side of, of that process that you go through in mixing, right? I mean, does that, absolutely. I don't want to say balance you. That's not the right word, but it does something for you, right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's just like, just like for me going out riding the bike or working out, it just takes my mind off of the worries of the world. And I, I focus completely in, the tasks that I'm doing it for me in mixing and especially creating a mix, it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of, well, this works. Well, this didn't, let me go through, let's kind of reshuffle it. And so when I'm in that zone, I'm, I'm fully immersed in that zone and there's really nothing else going on around me in my mind and the world. And so it's a great way to kind of tune out and just stay level and stay balanced. So that's truly a flow state that you're in where time mm -hmm. passes. You're like, Oh my gosh, I, I've spent six hours doing this. I've got to go, go uh, reunite with my wife. I haven't seen her all day. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's a, it's funny. You mentioned that flow state. I, I've read some books in regards to flow state and being in sports and being active. I definitely tap into that flow state and it is so therapeutic for me. Um, and I think it's just, it's so good for the mind as well as the body to be in that state um, to just kind of let the worries of the world fall by the wayside and then it just grounds you and, and brings you back to reality and keeps things in perspective where you don't get caught up in these minuscule things that at the end of the day really don't matter. And that's, I think that's really important to share. And that's been something that's been really positive for me in my life, uh, just through experiences um, and just meeting with different people and seeing how they kind of live life. Um, I've tried to embrace life as much as possible take every opportunity to experience as much as possible to meet as many people as possible and form relationships and just try new things, do new things. Um, but having that open mindedness and just lack of worry about repercussions and just embracing the moment and living within the moment and enjoying it because you just never know when your time's going to come. And I'd hate to waste days doing things I don't want to do. And then I'm on my deathbed and it's like, well, shit, what, I wish I would have done all these things every day. I try to do what I want, what makes me happy. And I don't feel constrained to any societal things. I just kind of do what makes me happy as, you know, as well as my family and my friends. 
Yeah, that's probably the number one question I get as a, a personal development coach is young men age anywhere from 19 to age 30 who are questioning purpose and passion. They're, they're mm -hmm. on this journey of looking for it so hard as if it were a destination on a map that they're missing this thing called life and the journey that we're all on and the appreciation of it that we have. They've, they've got something in their memory that, that they have attached an emotion to on an experience in the past that makes them very unable to see opportunity in the future. Mm -hmm. And, and it saddens me that young men in particular are suffering in this way. Do you, do you see that or does that resonate with you in any way? No, I, I can certainly see that. And I don't think social media has helped anybody in that regards. I think everyone gets so fixated on materialistic things and getting a picture and posting about how cool it is rather than actually living up the moment and just enjoying it. I think anybody can get fixated on that in this day and age and everyone tries to keep up with the Joneses. And I think you have to make a conscious decision to say, well, none of that's important to me. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to make the choices that I want to make that make me happy. And I don't feel like I need to please anybody else. And the people that have that same mindset will be in your life. And my, my friend group, we all think the exact same way. None of us get caught up in any of that. And we all just kind of live our lives how we want to and what makes us happy. And it's, we're all so at peace with it. We're so happy with, you know, where we're at in our lives because of it. Wow. So I heard uh, a recent documentary on Netflix and I'm blanking on, on the name of it right now as I'm thinking of it. But anyway, it's on social media and they, the, the documentary didn't end with any answers. It just suggested that social media did not create this issue. What social media did was enhance people's impulses, that it's really mm -hmm. impulses that are, that are at the foundation of this dysfunction that people feel in this social media world. Um, I guess I, I agree with that to a certain point, or I understand that to a certain point. I shouldn't say mm -hmm. I agree that, man, social media can bring out the worst impulses in people. Yeah, certainly. So the thing with social media is it's a highlight reel for everybody. You know, you know, you know how you are. You know, I know how I am. I feel great about myself. I feel great about what I'm doing, but I can hop on social media and I can see all these cool things that people are doing. And I'm like, it makes me second guess. It's like, well, what am I doing with myself? And it's like, holy shit. Like this is, this is a highlight reel. This is, nobody's seeing the hardships. And so that's kind of what I tried to do with my recovery and my updates is I tried to keep it as real as possible. And I wanted people to understand like, not every day is going to be a great day. Okay. I'm making great great uh, strides, you know, as much as possible, but I'm still having some crappy days. I, I don't feel good. I don't want to do PT. I don't want to do things. And so I try to keep my social media and things like that as realistic as possible. And, you know, I still post cool pictures and videos doing stuff, but I also want to make sure people know like, Hey, he's just a normal, normal dude. He goes to the same stuff that everybody else does. It's not all roses. So, no, it certainly isn't. And I wanted people to understand that in my road to recovery. Oh, wow. Well, what a road to recovery you've gone through, man. I, I can't, I can't forget those x-rays that you posted in the pictures of, of you're now a bionic man. You're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, I've uh, gotten that quite a bit and hopefully, hopefully no more surgeries after this one in, in the future. Um, I'm, I'm really going to taper it back quite a bit and be much more calculated and make sure I go home at the end of every day in one piece and, can go do it again the next.
Well, what what's amazing, Jacob, is that you you were you were a man of of quality and character before. You've now had a, a trauma happen to you, but the trauma doesn't define you. It's what you did before that defines you, that carries you through this moment. And I think I think that's what makes you a superhero walking among us right now. That's that's incredible, man. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And I think it's not only that before what defined me, but I think it's it's how I've taken on this challenge and the mindset that I've took on and really took on this full force and head on. And once I got the diagnosis, I just made that mental decision. Like, Hey, this is, this is your life right now. Looking back on your life, this is just going to be a brief season. You're going through it now. You're in the thick of it, but every day do what you can progress and get out of this as quick as you possibly can. And I think that is going to be a really defining thing for me. That's an awesome strategy, my friend. So if people want to kind of watch the rest of this story play out, uh, how can they follow you, Jacob? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at Jacob Atkinson, and that's A-C-T-K-I-N-S-O-N. I also post on my Facebook. You can find my journey and my story on both of the social media outlets. Oh, fantastic. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And I, I do want to put um, a URL to your playlist too, because I think those are, yeah. those are just absolutely magical to see. So Jacob, this, is, this has been uh, incredible to learn a little bit more about the story behind the man, behind the accident, but more importantly, behind the, the transformation that, that is taking place right now. And I think there are just some, some critical lessons that I know my audience and I, I know I have gained from just watching this very beginning of this story. So I'm looking forward to the rest and see what you do. Well, thank you very much. Fortunately, I'm past, past the most difficult stages. Um, the ability to be able to walk without crutches um, is going to certainly make this much, much easier. At least I have my lower extremities intact and I can get out in nature and go hike and, and whatnot. And so that's really, really good for my well-being and just overall uh, aura. Oh, I can only imagine uh, when you get more and more connected back into nature that, that the trajectory is only going to keep increasing. So that's awesome. Yeah, awesome. certainly. I get to spend the weekend in the mountains and I just feel amazing today. So hopefully it continues. Uh, well, I know I wish you well, and I hope all the listeners are wishing you a speedy recovery, my friend, because we want you to continue to crush it and, and, and come back to be a major influencer on these social media platforms. <laughs> I really appreciate you having me on. All right, Jacob. Well, look, for the listeners on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on, please leave us a review and a comment to Jacob so, you know, he, he can see and and realize what influence that he has had on you in listening to this episode. Um, feedback like that is the only way this show reaches more people. So Jacob, thanks for your influence today, my friend. I wish you well on the journey and hope to have you back on the show to give us part two of this continuing story. Of course, I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Until next time, peace out. Peace.